This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. 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 Yo, 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 what's going on, people? You're now locked into Dysonomics Podcast. I hope you've had a good week so far. Apologies about the missed episode last week. I was extremely unwell. And when you're a one-man band, do you know what? I probably should record podcasts in a bank just to make sure that the streets don't miss out. If for whatever reason, life tries to get, get a brother down. But anyway, I hope you've listened to the previous episode. It worked from last week, it was actually a couple of weeks ago, with regards to protesting. Like, what's going on with this protest and stuff? Should we, should we stop how we currently protest? Is it is there a limit to how we can protest? Is it going too far? And I also evaluated the new laws with regards to protest. Oh, I can't remember the name of the law off the top of my head. What is it called again? Public order. I think it's a public order act 2023, which a lot of it came into place this spring. So. What can the police now do? And spoiler alert, they could actually arrest you and you can face sometimes six to three, six months to three years in jail, fines and all sorts with regards to protests. So this is looking at Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil, them man, they are, they're causing quite a storm. So yeah, if you wanna know about protesting, how I feel about it, it, should there be a limit? And I evaluate some of the protests we've seen and how the government has reacted to it as well as how us the public what our feelings are towards protests towards climate change so on and so forth yeah make sure you check out the last episodes but anyway this week's episode we're going to we're going to the west coast we're going to hollywood since may and for the writers and since july i believe for the actors hollywood has been going on strike yep the people that write some of our favorite shows and the people that act in our favorite shows have had enough of what's going on. They are going on strike and it's going to impact all of us. But how is it going to impact us? And the more poignant question is, is entertainment as we know it in jeopardy and is it gonna change forever? That's our Netflix, our Disney Plus, our Amazon Prime, our Hulu, our HBO, our movies, our TV shows, all of this is impacted by what we're seeing right here, right now, and going forward. Who's gonna fold? 
who's going to win this exchange? We're going to get into that shortly. But first, a young advertisement break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, guys. I'm XM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's lit. So, welcome back to another episode of the Dysonomics podcast, people. And we are talking Hollywood. Are we not going to be able to watch some of our favorite shows going forward? Like, that can be a serious and genuine concern. And we're going to go and delve into the life of writers and the life of actors, right? So we start off with the writers first. They're the first people to, to, strike, to strike. Who are writers? The, the TV shows that we know and love, they don't just go to the studio and start freestyling. There's a script for it. There's a plan. There's a story. And that is derived and brought to life by the writers, right? So how do these writers make money? Well, if you write a movie script, then that finds its way to sell to a holiday, to a holiday, sorry, to a Hollywood studio for a big lump sum. That's how you can make some bread. You can sell an idea for a movie to the studio and maybe you get hired to write it. Um, I think that might be part of the script for The Gentleman. No, not The Gentleman. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it might be The Gentleman. I was confusing The Gentleman and The Irishman. Both fantastic, fantastic movies, bro. Um, you could write a book or create some other intellectual property that a studio buys outright or options giving them, well, the option to adapt it. You might also get hired to adapt it for more money. You might not. So for example, um, JK Rowling with Harry Potter, and I forgot the gentleman's name with Game of Thrones. Those are people who have written amazing novels and have gone on to benefit as those novels have been brought to life in front of our eyes in terms of TV show, in the instance of Game of Thrones and of course a movie in, or movie shall I say in the instance of Harry Potter you can get hired to revise an existing screenplay after one that was written by somebody else so you can make money from that you could sell an idea for a TV show or maybe a pilot script to a studio and you might be hired to be the showrunner or executive producer that makes the whole thing happen and these are top of the people in the right top of the future in the writer's room which I'll get into in a bit or you could get hired to write on a TV show as part of the writer's room, which can mean that you could end up producing a show one day, which in turn means you get paid extra. So the writer's room, that I was watching something on Vox and you've got like eight different levels. You start off as a, like a writer and you could gradually go up to be like, um, the highest level is ex an executive producer or showrunner, right? And that is kind of like the career progression for a writer. And another way writers get paid is something called residuals. Residuals are like royalty payments for screenwriters, right? If you, if you have a writing credit on something, like let's say you have the writing credit on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or Law and Order or Grey's Anatomy or Friends or some of these shows, and, it, and the rights to air it are bought by cable network. For example, I don't know, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I saw that on Trouble, for example. I, I don't know what network it was on in America. And to be fair, I don't need to get into it because it's not that relevant for this for this discussion. 
then you can get some money. So if you worked a long time or worked on a, on a, on a long TV show, especially a particularly popular one that runs in syndication a lot. So think of like Friends. Like Friends is always on TV. You get what I'm saying? Friends is always on TV. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is always on TV. That's why I reference both of those things. I always see a different CSI on Sky Atlantic and then there. Because these shows are rerunning, rerunning, you can keep eating and keep eating. You get a check periodically for your residuals. And that can obviously be a substantial part of your income. Right? Which makes perfect sense. If I've... If I've, this is my work. I've written part of this. I've written this. Same with, so I should be able to chop off the constant repackaging and reusing of this product. Same way if you are a songwriter or you are a producer or you are the performer, whether it be singer or rapper on a song and it gets played in H&M, in stadiums and moving so on and so forth, you are you should be entitled to a percentage of that. One of the main reasons that residuals are actually firstly negotiated by the WGA, which is the Writers Association, the Writers Union. So writers, they have a union which is called a WGA. So every time I refer to the WGA, I'm referring to the Writers Union. So the reason why this residual, this royalty for writers was first negotiated by the WGA was the understanding that if a network is rerunning a previously created show in a particular time slot, that's taken away from work and therefore income for a writer who otherwise might be writing on something else that fills that slot, which makes perfect sense. So instead of it always, okay, cool, we've had six seasons of six seasons of the show lost. Okay, now that show has lost its slot on said TV channel. That slot would then be filled by another TV show, which now, which would need a writer's room of people writing the show. But if you're just gonna keep on rerunning old shows, that means that there is less work for writers. So it kind of like compensates writers for losing newer opportunities of work, which I believe makes perfect sense. And I'm probably, and I side more on the side of, this is our creation. We have created this product. So if, you, if you're reusing this product and making money off this product, we should be getting a slice as well. What's interesting is that streaming services have come and changed the game. They've come and changed the game. So I'm going to talk about streaming services in a bit more detail later, but let's stick to the writers for now. Initially, streaming services provided more jobs, especially for production, right? So if you look at your favorite TV shows and your favorite uh, TV um, and your favorite films, there's kind of like four main stages. You've got the writer's room where they write up like the story, the script, what, who's going to say what and when and whatnot. Then there's production. So you actually start to produce the TV show. Then you've got post-production. So now you've done all your recording. So, okay, so let me go back. With production, that's when you get your actors in and then you get your directors. So you've got the actors who are fulfilling the lines that you have written and the story that you've written. And you've got the directors directing them and showing how things should be done and how things should look. Then you get post-production. So after you've done all your recording, now you're starting to edit it. Here's where the executive producer is and saying, yo, we, okay, put this bit here, this bit there, music, blah, 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 boom, boom, bam. And then boom, it airs. It hits our cinema screens like Barbie and Oppenheimer now, or it hits our Netflix like House of Cards or Narcos or Squid Game. 
And that is usually how things work. And usually the writers before were continuously getting work because like they will be interacting with production. Actors might be like, mm, I don't really think the line should be said like this because of boom, boom, bam. And then they'll be like, oh, okay, cool. Let's switch it up. So they're still working. Whereas now that doesn't really happen. They're not really included in the production and post-production phase as much, which therefore means it's less work for them, which therefore means it's less peace. So anyway, let me get back to streaming. So streaming services for a period creating more jobs for production were producing more shows. However, the average writer producer pay with many writers working in TV, uh, pick up producer credit as well, has actually declined by 4% over the past decade. And if you adjust that for inflation, that's 23% decline. And I'm gonna get into the reason why. So where's before where we were really just watching TV? This is before, so think about the times before Netflix and Disney and Amazon Prime. Those are the main ones we use in the UK. I know in the States, they've got Hulu, they've got HBO, they've got Showtime. So before all these streaming platforms, we were mainly watching TV, whether it be terrestrials or cable TV. So for me, with cable TV came Sky, which is where I watch shows. I watched a lot of shows on Trouble. When I was a lot younger, I was big on Cartoon Network, a little bit of Nickelodeon. So here's like the main, those were like the main places I was watching TV shows, right? And usually uh, upon my research, especially looking at, looking in the States, Shows tend to start new series, new series in September, right? And this is the TV shows. And they will run for like a long period of time, 22 episodes. So usually an episode a week, obviously with breaks here and there. And they, they said that they tried to mirror it with when new cars will come out. And new cars tend to come out in September. And obviously cars will, like the automobile industry is a very lucrative advertising partner with TV networks. So it kind of made sense to mirror new shows, peaked interest with new cars, right? So show will run for like 22 episodes, which is first for a series, right? That means that writers are working, they've got work for 22 episodes. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's a long period, a pretty long period of time to be working on a particular thing. Now, when you got streaming, and some series are damn near six episodes, eight episodes, that is a shorter period of time that writers are working. Especially when writers are, as I've said not too long ago, the writers aren't as included. The writer's room is not collaborating with the production process, which is the next step. So you've got the writer's room, production, post-production, then when the show airs on TV. If the writer's room people who are working in the writer's room are not being included in the production process, that's even less work for them and less time for them working, meaning that they're spending more of their time looking for work. Do you get what I'm saying? So obviously this is a problem. And then there's the impact of the residuals, which I'm gonna get into shortly. So last time there was a writer's strike was 2007, 2008, and work stopped for a hundred days and it cost $2.1 billion for the Californian economy. So obviously Los Angeles is based in California, which is the largest state, I believe, in terms of um, in terms of size. Like California is actually bigger than the UK and California's economy is also bigger than the UK, which is quite hard to believe. According to the WGA, 
proposals chart, the Guild's proposals would gain the writers an extra $429 million total per year. The AMPTPS's counter offer is to increase that by $86 million per year. So as you can see, the gap between both parties is over $340 million. That is a substantial gap in where they believe the writer's value is, which obviously led to the strike, of course. And if you look at the WGA's um, calculations, industry profits have ballooned from $5 billion in terms of profit in 2020 to almost $30 billion. So if you look at the period between 2017 and 2021, a big part of this is the rise of streaming. So spending original streaming content grew from $5 billion in 2019 to 13 to $19 billion in 2023. So spending on original streaming content almost quadrupled in four years. Profits increased by $25 billion in nothing, in a short amount of period of time. So the WGA, the writers are seeing ridiculous increases in the industry in terms of revenue, in terms of profit. And they have been paid less. And when you take into account inflation, they are getting, their pay is getting battered. And remember, this is Hollywood. So these people are living in California. They're living in Los Angeles and around and the surrounding areas. So their cost of living is crazy and they're losing out on money whilst the industry is eating at an astronomical rate. So think about all the Netflix shows you're seeing. In fact, um, shout out Shot and Chaser that I was a part of, I was doing the Money Thursdays, and I, I was part of an episode regarding like the most expensive TV show. And Lord, um, the Ring of, um, the Lord of the Rings show, what was it called again? Uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but there's like a Lord of the Rings TV series that was launched on Amazon Prime earlier this year, which I watched, which I actually pretty much enjoy. I really enjoyed that show. Like that, that was dubbed like the most expensive TV show ever. Like the series cost billions to produce, billions. So this is how, and this is how much is going into some of these TV shows, and the writers are getting shortchanged. So in terms of striking action, ninety-seven point eight five percent. Of the, w, of the people who voted on the WGA voted to strike. And good on them. Now let's get into the actors. As of the 13th of July, 2023, the US Act Actors Union, SAG-AFTRA, caused a strike, right? The union has over 1,600, 160,000 actors and actresses in film and TV shows, as well as video game performers, radio presenters, models, and YouTube influencers. And the president of this of the union currently is Fran Drescher, and people might recognize her from the TV show in the 90s, The Nanny. The union's role is to negotiate with the studios, right? The studios are like Warner, uh, Disney, Netflix, Amazon, so on and so forth, right? Their most recent agreement was in July 2020. And then obviously COVID kind of rendered it useless for obvious reasons. There were shutdowns and so on and so forth. Things have interest changed. And the agreement's expiry was actually the back end of June, June 30th. So that's why they're now back at the negotiating table, right? 
And again, the issue is with residuals. This is the payment that performers receive for repeat showings of films and TV shows. And there's also an issue of who owns the actor's likeness as it is being reproduced by AI, as it could be reduced by AI, which is a big contention point. And I want to kind of tie in the residuals issue with the streaming. Now we're talking about both actors and writers. So remember before I said, if TV shows keep getting rerun and rerun and rerun, it doesn't provide space for new TV shows. And also there's money being generated off these TV shows. So this enables the writers, the residuals enables the writers to earn off this repetition of, of the repetition of not the content, but the content being run on TV as being run on it, so on and so forth, right? Now, this where it gets diff difficult is that with streaming is different because with streaming, the shows are effectively sold to the streaming platforms, right? Or the streaming platforms uh, create their own shows or well, purchase their own shows, should I say. So how things work is there is no residuals per se. They kind of get like a percentage, right? Of the money that's sold, if I remember correctly. I want to double back on that. And when I was watching, um, when I was watching and reading content from Vox, Shout Out Vox is one of my favorite places to do my research. If you look at residuals for a show that keeps getting replayed over like three years, for example, writers can make like $24,000 from that, off that one show. Whereas a one show on Netflix or one show on Disney or one show on Amazon Prime, they can make like maybe $400 across a few years because they get paid a, a fixed percentage and that percentage does not change if the show is the most popping thing on Netflix or if it's the deadest thing on Netflix. So you can have a show that is getting watched like to the death, bro. Like Squid Game, I know Squid Game was super popular. House of Cards is super popular. Narcos is super popular. You is super popular. Stranger Things, these shows on Netflix are super popular. I'm sure the... Um, the uh the lord of the rings show on amazon prime was super popular mr robot was super popular the boys is super popular but they don't have the ability to earn this amount of money and that type of money was very significant for actors as well as actresses as well as writers to sustain a standard of living and to to get certain benefits Then we bring into the AI factor. So what happens if you start reproducing shows using AI, AI versions of me, the actor or the actress? That's my that's using my likeness. So am I gonna be remunerated from that? And how am and how am I going to be remunerated for that? That's a big point of contention. So the actors and actresses union, SAG AFTRA, are demanding residuals partly based on viewership levels on streaming services. For the but the, but when you have studios like Netflix, Amazon, or Disney, they're not willing to share this information. And this kind of ties back into, I'm not sure if anybody followed uh, Joe Budden and um, he's ran on Spotify. He kind of wanted to know the numbers and they were like, mm, nah. And it's kind of similar. We've heard similar things from musicians trying to know like the real numbers at record labels and they don't get that. So actors and actresses and writers, they don't know how much their shows, their films are being watched. 
And that makes it very difficult to bargain and accept residuals and payments and so on and so forth. So obviously, they've decided to strike. A-listers such as Jennifer Lawrence, Joaquin Phoenix, Ewan McGregor have signed a willing, or signatories on a letter that indicates their willingness to strike. Um, you have people like George Clooney adding comments such as it's an, it's an inflection point in our industry. And just like any other industry, guys, don't just be thinking, when you're thinking of strike, you're probably thinking, right, these men are making millions like... Um, Daniel Craig made like 100 million off, I can't remember the name of the film that was bought by Netflix. Dwayne Johnson makes mad peas. Uh, Samuel Jackson, Kevin Hart, all these different actors make crazy money. Um, what's my man's name? Oh, Keanu Reeves. All these people make great money. But like with any industry, of course there's people that make insane money, just like sports. Like Rashford, Saka, Kevin De Bruyne, Pogba, Neymar, Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe, all these players make stupendous money. But they're not the only ones that play football. There's people at lower levels that don't make anywhere near the amount of money they make. Same way there is superstar surgeons that are making millions a year. And then there's, in the healthcare industry, then you've got like entry-level nurses, entry-level doctors that might not be making anywhere near the same amount of money. And that's the same thing for actors and actresses and writers. Not everybody's going to be George Clooney or Robert De Niro or Julia Roberts or Halle Berry. You see what I'm saying? Scarlett Johansson, all these type of people. Not everybody's going to be at that level. There's going to be some people that earn decent money and there's some people that, earn, that don't earn much at all. Like, and then Matt Damon said this, that it's $26,000 to qualify for health coverage. And a lot of people on the margins of that and residual payments are getting them across that threshold. So what he's saying is that a lot of people, their work is not even bringing them to the required threshold for them to get healthcare cover. Because remember, America has a private um, healthcare system where you need insurance. You need an insurance service for the most part if you want to have adequate healthcare. And if you don't have insurance, it's going to be very costly. You know, it's, it's almost like a pay out point of access to happening. And they need these residuals from their t from TV shows and films being rerun and being watched to pieces on on these streaming platforms to actually be able to qualify from these benefits. So it's not just about it's not just a money grab. It's a it's, he describes as a matter of life and death. So what is the impact of streaming on the actors, the actresses, and the writers? Streaming has like basically crushed the mid-budget movie and long-standing TV series. Like, we don't really get, like, series that go on forever anymore. Do you get what I'm saying? Series tend to be short. We even start getting hit with, like, one-series specials now, right? Due to the nature of streaming. It's also changed how films and shows are presented to us and how money is actually derived from them, right? We look at streaming and streaming flat platforms, how they make money is by subscriptions. They need to get as many of us subscribed, providing our monthly payments every month to earn revenue, right? And TV shows and films are the promotional tool. Oh, if you sign up to our, if you sign up to Disney Plus, you get Loki, you get the Kardashians, you get so on and so forth. If you sign up to Netflix, you get Squid Games, you get House of Cards, you get Stranger Things, right? Like that's how it works. They also tend to be 
also like the majority of movies and films on streaming platforms are tend to be up there permanently. I know like sometimes there was a period where there were some Marvel films on Netflix, they got removed. There were some TV shows on Netflix that got removed. But for the most part, Ish is up there, it's up and it's stuck. Do you get what I'm saying? It's there forever. This isn't the same as repeats where maybe a few months later or a few or like a year later, you could rerun a particular series. Like you'll see Fresh Prince be on TV again. You'll see Friends be on TV again. You'll see, what's that show? CSI be on TV again. It's not the same. Do you get what I'm saying? That's why it makes it hard a sign and value when you come in to pay people. You can't, and also they can't be, you can't really have, in terms of like the actors, actresses and writers, it's difficult to have a direct and meaningful and poignant dialogue with regards to how much they should be paid where the streaming platforms won't release the information. So we, we, don't, we don't even know how many people are watching what we've written. We don't know how many people are watching what we have performed. So it's very difficult for us to negotiate an adequate and a fair, in our opinion, reflective residual value on our work. And the more and more entertainment moves towards streaming, so the more and more me and you want Netflix, we want who we sign up to these programs and we stop watching TV, we're mainly watching it on streaming platforms, the more the, the acts, the potential for actors and writers to get residuals diminishes. Even you've even got like ITVX, um, BBC iPlayer, um, 4OD, like it's all moving to that type of streaming platform situation. What about AI? I mentioned AI before. The speed at which AI is getting better is scary. Like the level of machine learning is so fast. Like, so we've seen AI generated images. In fact, um, my mistress was watching a TV show. I think it's like French or something. And basically like these couples go, the men go into one house, the women go to another house and they're obviously met the opposite sex and they vibe and they do challenges and whatnot. But what happens is they go into this hub and they get shown footages and they have to guess if it's AI or if it's real. Like AI is really in the mix now. So people are worried because obviously it's not there yet, but it's going to get to a point where AI is going to be so sophisticated that it will be able to reproduce, I don't know, Samuel Jackson in Snakes on a Plane, for example, right? So if you look at the a AMPT, AMPTP, sorry, which is the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, they claim they offered groundbreaking a proposal over AI to the SAG-AFTRA chief negotiator, to SAG-AFTRA, which is of course the Actors and Actresses Union. But the chief negotiator was like, mm -hmm, nah, cuz. And I quote, they proposed that our background performers should able to be scanned and, and get one day's pay and their companies should own that scan, their image, their likeness, and should be able to use it for the rest of eternity on any project they want with no consent and no conversation. So if you think that's groundbreaking proposal, I suggest you think again. That is lunacy. From just a no bias, I'm on nobody's side, from just a moral, logical standpoint, how can you take a scan of me and you can use this scan to produce as much film and TV as possible and generate one pound or to 12 billion, whatever you generate, and I only get paid a day's work? 
That is the dumbest ish of all time. Because you are selling a version of myself and profiting it, and I only get one day's worth. That's insane. And actors should not even, they should even, that is a proposal that I will actually, I actually might want to fight you. I actually might see that email and want to come to your studio and just get bracken. What kind of, that's disgusting. Disgusting. Do you know what I'm saying? So I really hope they stay strong because in my opinion, if you're going to use an AI version of me, you are going to pay me like I'm working that shift, like I'm working that period of time. Maybe not as much because I'm not actually doing the work, but I'm going to be get paid a healthy sum. And if you, and every time you, you use me again, you're going to pay me again. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's the AI part. Now, should we be worried? Are the strikes going to work? Or are we in for a long, long tug of war? Meaning the content that we want to see starts to reduce and reduce and reduce. Or maybe the quality of content we want to see starts to reduce, reduce. So sag have more visible members than the WGA because obviously these men are actors and actresses. They tend, they're going to be more visible than writers. Like I couldn't name you one writer off the top of my head. But I can name you so many actors and actresses, right? Also, actors not working means there's no shooting. Because if writers weren't working, okay, cool. At least we can, we've got the scripts and whatnot. We can shoot, we could do post-production and then we can air it. But if actors aren't working, we can't, everything's shut down. And the production is the most cash intensive part, while the acting is the most cash intensive part of the production process. Obviously, writers and actors striking is not as immediately impactful as if all the train drivers and the bus drivers went on strike or nurses or doctors went on strike because there's immediate knock-on impact on everyday people. It's not quite the same when writers and actors strike. So this is more of a long game play. Where the writers and actors are betting is that the pipeline of products, so the pipeline of TV shows and films will start to run dry. And there's already a shortage because of COVID. Why, what does that mean? Well, because of COVID, when we're locked down, we're sh like nobody's outside, there's lockdown, nobody's working. That means in that time period where TV shows and films were meant to be shot, produced and edited and ready to air at said time, that work wasn't gone. So there's a backlog of stuff, right? So let's say there's meant to be a hundred million, a hundred million, no, a hundred thousand shows and films produced in a year. And because of COVID, like that went down to 10,000. That is a big gap in the market, right? So they are betting that, yo, not only are we not gonna work now, so that's gonna slow the production of TV shows and films, there's already a big gap because of COVID anyway. So you're not going to be able to fulfill demand at a certain point because there's not enough shows to fulfill the demand. And this is when your subscription model starts to fall down. So that's the bet the writers and the actors and actresses are willing to make. Whereas the studios, they're on demon time. They are trying to batter the unions into submission. And we'll get into that in a bit. Also, SAG-AFTRA 
terms mean that actors will no longer be able to promote shows or films they've made. So they're really like, like going hard, right? So even if you look at the film Oppenheim, which I'm still yet to see, the London premiere actually got bumped an hour earlier so that the actors of that show couldn't appear on red carpet before the deadline where they can't do stuff like that anymore because that's promotion, right? This band is also relevant to social media. You're not going to be on social media promoting the latest film and the latest TV show, right? So even stuff like chat shows, radios, um, print interviews have been cancelled because we're on there usually to promote stuff, right? We, we ain't doing that, cuz, yeah? Strike means strike. They have the impact on things like autumn festivals such as Venice, Tuileride and Toronto will be hit. Some of these some of these festivals start like at the end of August. So these festivals are reliant on star power to launch new movies, hoping that they can get like that Oscar, the Oscar Lime, like the Oscar Nodders. You see what I'm saying? So Venice needs to decide whether it can continue with open night movie challenges, for instance. I was reading up on this, which was super interesting. If in-person coverage has to exclusively focus on director Luca Guandino rather than stars like Zidana and Josh O'Connor. Other films not officially announced for the autumn festivals will rapidly need to kind of like pattern up their strategies because they can't rely on the superstar actors and actresses walking the red carpet, looking all lit, having interviews, so on and so forth. The AMPTP, which is obviously the studio sites, have indicated that they're willing to wait till late October before they entertain ideas of talking with the Writers Association. So you're thinking, why are you not gonna wait to October to deal with this? Like, it's a problem now, not right? Now, according to sources, according to the streets, the studios and the streamers have confirmed the strategy. Their plan is to grind down these man, and they've been thinking about this months in advance of the end of the current writers' um, agreement, which ended in May, which of course led to the strike. One studio executive allegedly said that Warner Brothers, Discovery, Apple, Netflix, Amazon, Disney, and Paramount, and others are determined to break the WGA after they've been reducing, after they've, they've like received positive feedback from Wall Street. So they're like, bruh, we're gonna break these lot. The AMPTP believes that most writers come October will start to waver I would put pressure on the WGA to start to come back to the table and negotiate a deal because after five months of striking, they probably ain't going to have money like that, right? They are banking on getting to a point where union members start losing their apartments, losing their homes, facing a cold Christmas, they're going to lose their rag. It's very cynical, it's very evil, but like they feel like it's necessary to get a favourable deal across the line. because they believe that these writers are going to be financially cash-strapped and going to be like, boy, you better, you lot better fix that. The last time the Writers Association went to war was with like agencies and stuff, like agents, in 2021, and they won. They dismantled the lucrative practice of packaging. Packaging is where agencies collect fees for production studios behind the project. And yeah, they slapped the agents. One by one, the agencies dropped. And the final one was WME and they backed down and they won. And apparently, according to the streets, this was a warning sign to many in the studio and stream our C-suites, C-suites is the executive function, right? 
So, this is where we're at. I am, I'm actually on the side of the creators. I believe that these, these men, they're being too greedy. They're, they are making so much money that they're not busting it down with the people that are actually creating the product. And I always side with the people that are actually creating what they're selling. It's too much greed. And I think streaming is, there's a very interesting conversation I had about streaming uh, because now we've moved away from TV, film, and then if you look at music, traditional selling actual hard copies, whether it be vinyls or CDs and cassettes to MP3s to then selling streams. Like these companies are, I think they're just violating. So yeah, F them. <laughs> for, for in in a in a nutshell, how is this going to impact us? I think it's going to impact us because I think first of all, I think the amount of shows we're going to see, like new shows, is going to slow down, and also I believe the quality of shows is going to slow down. It's going to reduce. But people have already been complaining about that anyway. Once you stop paying, once you stop paying people correctly. The motivation, the world, the creativity will then start to damper because you are ripping people off. And I really think that, I really hope that they have the will and the determination to hold on. But obviously, I'm not going to blame them if they fall because people need to pay bills. You get what I'm saying? Oh man, it's really sad. So yeah, man, power to the people of... And remember, this is not just the A-listers. This is like people who can't probably afford their apartment. And I was watching something on on Vox and I can't remember the name of the show, but like they showed a picture, they showed footage of like the writers receiving an award. And one man went viral because he's like, yo, here's me winning this award, but I'm broke. Like I had, I barely had enough money to rent my tie. How am I going to an award show where my show is in an award and I don't even have money now and I wrote the show? The evil world we live in but yeah man that's it for this week's podcast let me know what you think man until next week peace and blessings sports social podcast network